0: Ozzy Tales, Tabula Rasa, is a Podzilla 1985 production. Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised.
1: My name? is Dorian Glass, Private Investigator. And I'm going to die tonight. For the past 20 years, I've stalked the streets of Los Angeles and seen every side of immorality. I've dedicated my life to exposing corruption and digging up the most disgusting kind of dirt on people you probably think are good neighbors. For the right price, of course. I've seen it all and lived to tell the tale. Or keep my mouth shut. Depends on who's paying. But this latest case is something beyond my wildest imagination, and I've gotten myself in too deep. Right now, I'm driving towards my fate, and I don't think the coin is going to land heads up for me this time. can't go forward, can't go back. Gotta see this one through. I'm leaving this recording, and everything I've uncovered so far, to someone I trust, to make sure they get it to the feds in case I don't make it. I'm probably not going to make it. Even now, I see one of them following me in the rearview mirror. Stays a few cars back. Probably thinks I can't see them. Gotta do better than that if you're gonna ice me. I know this all must sound very confusing. So let's start at the beginning. The night I met her. A socialite named Julianne. The kind of L.A. beauty that you'd see in all the papers reporting on what kind of shoes she wore on a Saturday night. She came into my office one unassuming October night a week back, talking crazy about her sister. Cops say she killed herself, but Julianne wasn't convinced. I knew as soon as she waltzed in that this woman was going to be the death of me. Didn't think it would be literally. (laughs) Should have turned this one down, but I'm a sucker for a beautiful woman. The money didn't hurt either. Stupid. Stupid Dorian. This is Private Investigator Dorian Glass. I'm in my office speaking with a Mrs. I'm sorry, Miss Julianne. What was your last name again? Stone. A Miss Julianne Stone. Miss Stone has contacted me about the death of her sister, Catherine. Please, Miss Stone.
2: You can just call me Julianne, Mr. Glass. It's all right.
1: Oh, then by all means, Julianne, please call me Dorian.
2: Thank you. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I believe my sister, Catherine, was murdered. Probably by her husband, but I'm not sure about that part. He's into some. strange affairs dangerous affairs, and I believe, no, I know that whatever he was into this time got her killed. The police won't help me. I don't know if they're a part of the cover-up or just incompetent. I want you to find out who killed my sister and help me get justice for her.
1: Miss Stone, Julianne. Admittedly, I'm a little confused. The report you brought me very clearly states that your sister committed suicide. I am truly sorry for your loss, but the text is quite clear in stating that she took her own life with a razor blade.
2: The report doesn't say everything. They left out some very important details about the way she allegedly killed herself. Things that no human being with a sane mind would ever do to themselves. I don't follow. Look, Mr. Glass. Dorian. Mr. Glass, I am not an idiot. I know my sister, and she would never kill herself. Not like this. Not at all. Whatever she got herself involved with got her killed, and they're covering it up to protect someone. This is bigger than my sister. I'm asking you to help me find out the truth, and I'm willing to pay you more than you have ever seen in your life. My sister was my best friend, and I will not rest until her murderer is brought to justice.
1: All right. I'll see what I can find, but I cannot promise you that this will end the way you hope it will. And you must understand, regardless of the outcome, the price stays the same.
2: (laughs) You think money is a problem for me. Take it. Take it all. I don't care. Catherine did not kill herself. Start with her husband. And Mr. Glass, don't let the pompous bastard deceive you like he has with everyone else he's a monster.
1: And to tell the truth, I didn't believe her. I tried to give my clients the benefit of the doubt, but this one just didn't seem to add up. Still, she was gorgeous. And money is money. If she was willing to pay me a small fortune for a peace of mind, hmm, who was I to say no? My first stop was to the husband, Mr. Frederick Stone. I thought it odd that he took his wife's last name, but the Stone family is so rich, I guess it kind of comes with the territory. I didn't know it at the time, but that meeting would seal my fate.
3: Can I get you anything to drink, Mr. Glass?
1: No, no, thank you. Um, For the record, you are all right with me recording this?
3: Of course. I have nothing to hide. Although. Since you're here, I can only assume that Julianne has told you otherwise.
1: I take it that you're aware of uh, your sister-in-law's doubts about the official report on the death of your wife?
3: Of course. She's been very vocal about it to anyone who will listen. I appreciate how hard this must be for her, but she doesn't seem to reciprocate that courtesy to anyone else. She acts like she's the only one who lost Catherine. She was my dear wife, and I loved her very much. Her death has been hard on all of us, especially me, but I have no doubts about whether or not my beloved Catherine killed herself. I was there, Mr. Glass. I saw her do it."
1: I'm sure it has taken a toll on your whole family, Mr. Stone, and of course you have my deepest condolences. Uh, Julianne mentioned to me that the police report left out some key details surrounding Catherine's suicide. It said she did it using a razor blade, so I'm a little confused on why your sister-in-law thinks that is so unusual. I was hoping maybe you could shed some light on that as long as you're comfortable doing so.
3: I'd be happy to tell you everything if it will finally satisfy that woman. I had recently flown home from a dig in New Mexico. You see, I'm an archaeologist, Mr. Glass. Discovering the past and learning about other civilizations is my passion and it's been one that Catherine shared with me. I had been gone for a month, and she was excited to see what my team had uncovered about Inuit relics that had mysteriously traveled such a great distance. In the days that followed, she became more withdrawn from her colleagues at the university, and quite honestly, from me. I thought the stress of the academic season was getting to her, so I let her have her space, though I was very worried about her. She started muttering strange things in her sleep and told me about fantastic nightmares evolving Cyclopean cities. I I reached out to her mentor at the university, Professor Engel, who told me that Catherine had been absent for the past few days leading up to that god-awful morning. I have no idea where my wife was disappearing to, but her behavior was starting to frighten me. That morning, I woke up early to make breakfast before she was to leave for work. While I was in the kitchen, I heard her cry out briefly. It was like a sharp scream that came on like a hurricane, only for the winds to die immediately. I made my way to the bathroom to see what had happened, and it was in the dimly lit hallway that I saw her. She stumbled toward me with the bloody razor blade in her left hand. There was an outline of red circling her face, and tears were streaming from her eyes. I have to warn you, Mr. Class, that what I'm about to tell you is the single most traumatic thing that has ever happened to me. It is a vision that still haunts my dreams. Catherine whimpered to me that she couldn't stop, and begged me to help her. I asked her what she had done, And that's when she slipped her fingers under the skin on her face that she had sliced through. She started to scream, a scream that will never leave my ears, as she ripped her own face off. She stood in front of me in agony, and the beauty of my beloved Catherine was gone, replaced with the bloody visage of a streaking skeleton with chunks of meat scattered across what remained of her. She fell to the floor, and although I called for help, no help could save her.
1: I'm not sure what to say. That is horrific, and I am so sorry.
3: I try to remind myself that my wife was already gone, for whatever reason, whatever sickness, her mind had left her before she did that to herself. It's the only way I can sleep. I try to lose myself in my work now. The discoveries that she and I shared are the only things that bring me comfort. Catherine kept one of the items I brought back from New Mexico in her study. She said it was the most amazing thing she had ever seen. Would you like to see it, Mr.
1: Glass? Absolutely. That would be an honor. Uh, history and culture of always been one of my personal fascinations.
3: Her study is down the hall to the right. I I dare not go in there right now. Seeing the things that she loved so much reminds me that she is no longer by my side. Take it with you, please. I I want you to have it. Something to thank you for politely indulging Julianne's misplaced fantasies. Take this with you as well. Show it to her, if you have to. What is this? Catherine had cameras installed in our home. We have many valuable artifacts here, and she was always paranoid about someone breaking in to take them. She loved her work, and I loved her. This is a recording of that morning. Watch it if you need proof that I am telling you the truth. Although, Mr. Glass, I implore you not to. What you will see can never be unseen.
1: Of course, I watched the video, and he was right on two things. She absolutely killed herself the way he said and I will never be able to get that image of his faceless wife out of my head. I had an analyst check it, and it wasn't tampered with. He was telling the truth. Even so, something about his story seemed off to me. I know people deal with grief in their own ways, but Catherine Stone had only been dead for a few days. I guess I expected more tears. I've been involved with more than a few cases where I had to talk to someone's loved one about their death, and well, there's always waterworks, Kept himself together so well, a little too well. I contacted Julianne and told her what I had found, told her I'd watched the video myself and that it was legit. She was less than pleased with my findings, swore she'd figure it out on her own if no one would help her. She still paid me, which was honestly a little surprising. I guess when you're that rich, money really is no object. I could tell that she really bought into what she had told me about her sister, and she refused to believe that her sister would punch her own clock. And I thought that would be the end of it, and I was a little disappointed that I couldn't help her, and even more disappointed that I wouldn't see her again. <laughs> could you imagine? A down on his luck PI and a sexy socialite hitting it off? Maybe I could have been the movie star I always dreamed of becoming when I left small town USA and moved to California with dreams of making it big in Hollywood. Dreams about that I went home that night and couldn't wait to dream about all of the things I was gonna buy with that money it's a shame that you can't control what your mind comes up with though because there weren't any fast cars or faster broads in my dreams that night the best way I can describe it was a horror movie but like one of those really independent horror movies the kind with wild visuals and a nonsensical plot I remember a crumbling city that was eerily silent Dead. No one was there but me. Something called out to me, and as I wandered the streets in search of it, I couldn't tell which direction was which. I would walk forward and move backward. I climbed down and fell upward. Nothing made any sense. And then I saw it. Towering in the distance. Something so big it loomed over everything. The city around me was swallowed by the shadow of this thing. And as it marched closer, I almost saw it through the darkness. Almost, but not quite. And then, I woke up. It wasn't just one night either. It was every night. It was every time I closed my eyes. And then it wasn't just when I was sleeping. I thought I was done with this case, but whatever I had stumbled on wasn't done with me. I decided to talk to this Professor Engel. taught at the same university as the deceased and was apparently a close friend to the woman. Maybe he could shed some more light on what Stone was going through before she offed herself.
4: My name is Professor Raymond Engel and I teach ancient studies here at university. Catherine Stone was a colleague of mine and yes a good friend that I miss very much. I'm not sure how much help I'm going to be to you, Mr. Glass. All I know about Catherine's death was what I read about in the papers and vague details from her husband, Frederick.
1: Are you aware of the details surrounding how Mrs. Stone took her life?
4: No. I didn't want to know details about how my friend killed herself. You have to understand, the hows and the whys matter very little when compared to the gravity of the act itself. All that mattered to me is that she was gone, and I chose to let Fred grieve.
1: Catherine's sister, Julianne, insists that she didn't kill herself, and she believes that Catherine was murdered, and, well, she's hired me to prove that.
4: Did you find anything that supports our theory? No. Then I'm not sure what else I can help you with.
1: What was Catherine like before and after her husband came back from New Mexico? He said she was acting strangely and becoming increasingly erratic.
4: Catherine was under a lot of pressure. Accusations of infidelity with one of her students caused great stress to her and unbearable strain on her marriage. Fred was understanding and forgiving though, perhaps too much so. There was a student of hers named Alex that she was involved with. Their relationship became physical, and when Fred returned from his trip, he caught them together. Her mind started to break after that. She loved her husband very much, and stepping out on her marriage was unlike her. It was one of the little secrets that she kept from me. Although I can understand why, I imagine the guilt of it all ate away at her sanity until, well, you know what happened.
1: This Alex, is he still enrolled here? Would I be able to speak to him? Not that I don't believe you, understand, I just like to look into the facts myself.
4: I'm afraid not. Tragically, Alex took his own life not long after the affair was discovered. He was a troubled young man and the whole situation was too much for him to handle. He hung himself in the dorm a few days before we lost Catherine. The combination of losing the trust of her husband and the death of her secret lover was simply too much for her to bear. Mr. Glass?
1: Uh, I'm sorry. I just thought someone was watching us through the window, out by the trees.
4: What did they look like?
1: I couldn't see their face. They were wearing a robe with a hood, I think.
4: Well, I don't see anyone out there. Maybe your mind was playing tricks on you.
1: (laughs) It has been doing that a lot lately.
4: Really? Since you started investigating Catherine's death?
1: Yes, it's like ever since I talked to her husband, I've felt uneasy. Cases usually don't get to me like this. Maybe it's time for a vacation.
4: We could all use a little time away, Mr. Glass. All things considered... I'd say your mind is holding up remarkably well. What did you say? I apologize, Mr. Glass. I must get ready for my students. I hope you can help Julianne find some peace. She and Fred have both been through so much. Good luck to you, sir.
1: Talking to the professor was a bust. I looked into the affair and... The only people who admitted to me that it had happened was Professor Engel and Frederick himself. Julianne hung up on me when I confronted her with the information and... Alex Borden was a real student at the university in one of Catherine's classes. And he did hang himself three days before her death. I should have let it go, but I just couldn't. Something inside me was propelling me forward. Even though all the evidence I had turned up just reinforced the fact that Catherine Stone killed herself. But something felt wrong. Not just with the case, but with me. Those horrible dreams, night after night, were starting to wear me down. I don't think I'd slept for more than a few hours in a week. I was beginning to think I couldn't even trust my own eyesight. And I started to see these hooded figures always appearing just out of the corner of my eye. I felt like someone was following me. And this is going to sound insane. But every so often I would catch a glimpse of what was under that hood. And it wasn't... human. It looked alien, almost (sighs) fish-like. I was losing my goddamn mind. I decided to pay my old friend Willard Bradbury a visit. He studied parapsychology and was into that kind of weird stuff. I don't know what I was looking for from him, but whatever it was, I didn't find it.
5: Recording this seriously.
1: I record everything. You know that keeps me safe against threats, blackmail, lawsuits. I have a storage garage full of recordings, but that's not important right now. I need your help.
5: What would the great investigator Dorian Glass need from me?
1: It's this case. Ever since I agreed to look into this, Catherine Stone's death, I've been seeing things, things that can't be real. I I know you're into the unusual, maybe you know what it is I've been seeing because it's driving me nuts.
5: Wow, finally cracked after all these years. Can't say I didn't see it coming with all the booze-filled late nights. Let me guess, pretty girl put you in a precarious position? Enlighten me on what that debaucherous little mind of yours has cooked up.
1: I keep having these weird dreams. A dead city with all this foreign architecture, like some kind of fantasy novel. And in the center, there's this giant creature that kind of lords over it all. I think it's calling to me. and I can hear it in my head. And then lately, when I'm not asleep, I've seen impossible things as well. I think I'm being followed by these beings in hooded robes. And the further down the rabbit hole I dig with this case, the more uneasy it gets. It started with a routine investigation, and now I'm seeing fish people
5: wherever I turn.
1: I know, I sound like a head case, don't I?
5: You were talking about the Deep Ones. What? You've been reading too much Lovecraft? I didn't think you read anything but dirt sheets and Gentleman Magazines.
1: I have no idea what you're talking
5: about. Are you, are you serious? Okay, so have you ever heard of H.P. Lovecraft?
1: The author? I heard of, yes. Can't say I've read any of his work, though.
5: Well, it sounds like you're describing are the Deep Ones. They're like a race of ocean-dwelling creatures who worship the Great Old One Cthulhu. Cthulhu is like an interdimensional god, dead and imprisoned at the bottom of the sea. And, fun fact, sometimes the male Deep Ones mate with involuntary human women to create hybrids that walk among us until they completely transform into these creatures.
1: Makes sense, or I am going to shoot you. Are you trying to tell me I'm having... Vivid nightmares about make-believe creatures that I've never even heard of?
5: Easy now. Some people don't think it's a story at all. They believe that H.P. Lovecraft was documenting things that he actually saw. Whether he was a scribe for these creatures or merely a witness to their call, I don't know. But these people actually believe that what Lovecraft wrote about was real. These creatures have supposedly been mingling with humans for centuries, and there is a group, a Cult of Cthulhu, that aids the Deep Ones by performing wild orgies and sacrificing those deemed worthy of them, All in the belief that one day when the stars align in just the right way, the sacrifices will bring Cthulhu back to life and he'll walk the earth, bringing about the human apocalypse. They say that to gaze upon it with your own eyes would immediately drive you mad. Even being around his relics to dream about him would cause you to do unbelievably sadistic things. Fascinating,
1: right? Uh, And what uh, exactly does this Cthulhu look like?
5: I mean, it's not like anyone has a photograph of him or anything. The only way I can describe him to you is the way Lovecraft wrote it. I'm sure there are illustrations somewhere in the library that I can find for you, but...
1: Really big? Gigantic, in fact? Bigger than your imagination could ever create? With large wings that make an awful sound and a horrific alien-like face with tentacles protruding from it?
5: (laughs) You sure you haven't read the story? Because you're describing it perfectly. I I knew I had this somewhere. This is an illustration supposedly drawn by Lovecraft himself in 1934. Sent to his friend and future literary executor R.H. Barlow. Is this what you've been seeing in your dreams? I have to go. Hey, Dorian! Wait! Cthulhu
2: isn't
1: real! I started researching, digging into whatever archives I could. Read all about Lovecraft and this cult of Cthulhu. Whether or not it's real, people believe it's real. Rumors about their existence have persisted for decades all over the world. They deal in insanity. Like an arms dealer, peddling their weapons of death to the highest bidder. Except, this cult's clients weren't looking to buy. They spread madness like an infection. And once you were infected, well, it was lights out. In tracing this madness plague back to its roots, I found a connection between a bunch of high-class suicides in L.A. It seems like the rich and famous were dying left and right in the most grotesque ways. And I think some high-ranking brass was helping to cover it up. Details on a suicide, like stones, were usually kept under wraps, but Dorian Glass has his ways. I found out about a surgeon who went to one of the most expensive restaurants near the Strip. His family watched as he gutted himself with a steak knife and pulled his own intestines out like rope because he said he could feel them wriggling around inside of him. And there was a woman in Long Beach who dismembered herself with a chainsaw until she was just an arm, a head, and part of a torso. And the guy who decided to flay himself and his newborn? (laughs) Even I had to shut the book on that one. And that's just a few minnows in a sea of depravity. While I was looking into the absolute worst of humanity, it dawned on me. How did I even know what this Cthulhu looked like? I chalked it up to my dreams, but whatever that thing was, it was always in shadow. It was wrapped in a darkness that was impossibly black but I pictured it so vividly. How? Then I remembered. That figurine that Frederick Stone had given me, the one that he brought back from New Mexico that Catherine had fallen so in love with, was some kind of idol of Cthulhu, that same creature I had seen in my nightmares. I don't know what it all means. I refuse to believe that this is real, but something is happening. And it's a whole lot bigger than one suicide. Julianne wouldn't return my calls, so I drove to her apartment tonight to talk to her in person. (sighs) Julianne stone is dead. They told me she threw herself off the top of the (laughs) high-rise. Bullshit! Someone murdered her because she got too close. Probably the same people following me right now. I went to Frederick's to find out more about that idol he gave me, but the front door was kicked in. The place was torn apart. There was a note with my name on it, pinned to the wall with a knife, and an address written in blood. I'm driving there now. I don't know if he's still alive, but someone wanted me to find that note. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have a feeling it's going to end there. Whoever killed Julianne, whoever drove Catherine to suicide and kidnapped Frederick, they're there. I don't think I'm going to make it out of this one. I've sent all of my files on the case to Willard, and I'm about to send this audio log too. I'm sorry, Julianne. I should have listened to you. what's what's happening why am I tied down
4: Hmm. he's awake Angle Angle
1: what are you doing here
4: waiting for you my boy I was starting to think you were never going to wake up I'm afraid some of them were a little stronger than they realize when they caught you snooping around outside I told them to subdue you and bring you to me
1: Hey, who are are they?
4: You know. You've seen them in your dreams. You've felt them watching you. Waiting. The Deep Ones. They're quite fascinated by your human quirks. My dear Mr. Glass, you haven't been alone for quite some time. I do apologize if they hit you a little harder than I meant. Of course, if a bump on the head is the worst thing that happens to you tonight, you should consider yourself lucky. Unfortunately, You don't strike me as the lucky type. Where's Frederick? What did you
1: do to him?
3: I'm right here, Mr. Glass.
1: What? Frederick? But your house? Your wife?
3: Why? Sorry for the ruse. We thought it would be easier luring you to where we wanted you than risking a gunfight in public. As far as poor Catherine, please don't misunderstand me, Mr. Glass. I did love my wife. She was brilliant. I dreamed that she would be strong enough to become a sacrifice for our lord. What an honor that would have been for me! But in the end, she was weak-willed, just like so many others. I offered her the vision of the old ones, but she didn't have the heart for it and lost lost her mind. It was a true shame. I didn't need her love to survive, obviously. But her fortune was nice. But you, Mr. Glass, what a surprise you turned out to be! You had that idol in your possession for days with nothing more than a bad dream or two. That strength is impressive. When I gave it to Catherine, she went insane almost immediately. She was going to become a problem for our organization. So we had to create a story for her that would explain away her sudden madness. What better story than a jilted lover and the guilt of unfaithfulness? You know, I never liked that fool, Alex. He was too handsome, and Catherine liked him a little too much for my taste. But he was the perfect person to play the part of the sad little lovesick student. Hanging him by the neck was just a pleasant bonus. You killed him. Not just him. I've killed lots of people, Mr. Glass. For many, many years. And most recently, the tragic Julianne. I am sorry she dragged you into all this. She just couldn't accept the death of her older sister, no matter how hard I pushed back. I tried to spare her, I did. But she wouldn't let go. Of course, She wouldn't let go of the ledge I threw her over after telling her I wanted to confess the truth about what happened to dear Catherine, either. A good... stomp to the hand will do wondrous things, though. And, admittedly, I did enjoy watching the fear in her eyes as she fell... all the way down and went splat. Little nosy bitch.
4: Easy, my friend. You see, Mr. Glass... We have been waiting for a very long time to find someone strong enough to be a sacrifice to the great Cthulhu. It can't be just anyone. Our Lord demands strength. He needs those who can gaze upon his brilliance without losing themselves. That strength will help bring him back so we can wipe away the mistakes of humanity and start again in his glorious image. Don't you tire of it, Mr. Glass? The wars? suffering. Humanity has proven itself to be too sick to continue. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a fresh start? A tabula rasa, if you will? (laughs) And
1: what? You're going to sacrifice me? You're going to murder me and bring your dead god back to
4: life? You really are insane. You all are insane! You misunderstand, Mr. Glass. Cthulhu isn't dead. Even now, he slumbers, dreaming in the deep, imprisoned within the walls of R'lyeh. But when the stars align, when enough blood has been spilled, mighty Cthulhu will awaken and cleanse this world. He will drive the weak to insanity, and the strong will rebuild the world on their rotting corpses. You're just one of many.
1: <laughs> Listen to me.
4: Listen to me. Everything I've discovered.
1: Everything I've recorded, it's all been sent to the feds. They're going to know exactly
4: what you've done. Good. Let them know. Let everyone know that our Lord Cthulhu, he who waits, dreaming in his house, will return and there is nothing that can stop him. We have existed since the dawn of time. No law, no mortal, and certainly no insignificant insect like you. Can deny what is coming now if you don't mind mr glass your part in this is over what is that what is that come deep one take the heart from this man for our lord the great
2: cthulhu <coughs>
0: If anyone receives this transmission, this is Special Agent Sam Lambert with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Special Agent Harry Donovan and I were tasked with documenting and then destroying case files of an unusual nature that were deemed too sensitive for public disclosure. After finishing our task, I I killed my partner on the orders of Bureau Director Elias Crane who then sealed me inside this vault to die. I have no food, I have no water, Uh, will not last much longer the days since I was sealed inside new case files have begun appearing some of them are uh, dated for years beyond now it doesn't make any sense we destroyed everything but they just kept coming I, I recently discovered a file about the end of the world and get this it's dated two days from now all souls day fucking perfect I don't understand any of this. If anyone receives this recording, please find me. Side Echo, the secret facility in which I am trapped, is located under a coffee shop called Villainous Grounds in Perryville, Missouri. I'll hang on as long as I can. Not that anyone's going to hear this. I'm sorry, Harry. This is Agent Sam Lambert signing off for the final time. Eve Tales Tabula Rasa is a production of Podzilla 1985. That Which Waits Dreaming was created and written for performance by Shannon Young and stars in order of appearance Shannon Young, Lindsay Wolfgang, Cody Sandusky, R.E. Casper, Jesse Kimber, and Hunter Hendricks. Catch every episode of this seasonal series as well as the full slate of Podzilla podcasts like PZ85 Plays, After Dark, and more at podzilla1985.com or on your favorite podcasting service.